Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Last week, Kevin McCarthy became the first Speaker of the House in history to be ousted from the position via vote. This week, the House has been scrambling to replace McCarthy. While the chamber has a temporary Speaker in place, his powers are limited, and the GOP majority must choose a permanent leader before anything can be considered on the House floor. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, John Green and Michael Landell return to discuss what they're seeing on the ground here on Capitol Hill. Additionally, the Medicare AEP is about to begin, so we'll discuss some resources for our members to help with all the requirements for agents. So, welcome back, guys. Let's wind the clock back a bit to last week. As NABIP's boots on the ground, so to speak, here on Capitol Hill, what happened? What prompted the vote that cost McCarthy his position? Well, thanks, Dan. And yes, it's been a very difficult week, and we kind of could foresee this date coming back in in January when he made these compromises with the minority wing of his party, setting about some rules that made it easier for them to depose him of his position if he didn't meet their demands and do what some allege that he promised to do. So funding the government, of course, is one of the most important activities of Congress. There are 12 appropriation bills. The Senate seemed to clear theirs very quickly, but the House did not. And, you know, September 30th is the beginning of the new fiscal year, and they still had not cleared any bills that required that they use a continuing resolution or a CR to continue funding the government. And that's where it really fell apart and collapsed. And so they were in no mood to make a deal. They felt they had been misled because they only need one House member to raise this issue on the floor. Mr. Gates from Florida became that person. And I'll let Michael, of course, speak for how the Democrats played this out, but it has created a lot of bad blood on the Republican side, and we continue to see that today. Michael, why don't you tell us, you know, how Democrats reacted to all of this? Thanks, John. Well, Democrats were watching, I guess, just as spectators, because for them, it's interesting to come in in the minority. And remember, they expected to lose a lot of seats last midterm uh, because traditionally the presidential party loses seats in the midterm. And they only lost a handful of seats, so they lost their majority, but they're only down four or five votes. And that was unexpected. And then when they come in, 
the Republicans take 15 rounds to elect McCarthy to be a speaker. So Democrats unusually had a lot of strength together just being in the opposition and putting their candidate Hakeem Jeffries up as the loyal opposition, and they've been unified. There's usually a lot more backbiting in the party. So flash forward to now, and a lot of Democrats were curious about whether they would have done some maneuver like vote president to lower the threshold for the votes needed or just not vote at all. And I think it eventually came down to they didn't trust McCarthy. For some reason, there were several things happened that caused a rift where they didn't feel like they could negotiate anything with him directly. Now, what they do next is a question mark, because if it's just another day or two, you know, they won't they won't be tempted to work or help out any. Just let the Republicans work it out. But if this goes on for a while and nothing seems like it's going to happen, I think there might be a temptation to to help out. I don't know what would be on the table for that. I will note today they gaveled in session for three minutes and then gaveled out, which is never a good sign. So, you know, will there be a speaker on Friday, Monday, Tuesday? Kind of watch, see how that plays out. So the whole point of them gathering for conference was to try to keep this, make try to resolve this behind closed doors and not make it a big public spectacle as it was back in January. And it came down to two candidates, Steve Scalise, who is the current majority leader, and Chairman Jim Jordan of the Judiciary Committee. He's from Ohio. And um, it they, they split the vote pretty much, uh, but Scalise came out on top, and he is the one who is expected to carry the mantle. Uh, there were some rules proposed with regard to uh, how they can vacate the seat and uh, and to whether or not they could advance someone from the conference who didn't actually achieve 217 votes. And so the divisiveness really continues to Michael's point. Some have suggested that, well, why don't we just make Jim Jordan the majority leader uh, to placate him and give him a, a role. But he really values being chairman of the Judiciary Committee and probably does not want to give up that chairmanship. So others have suggested that maybe they need someone completely outside of the leadership structure or someone fresh and new. Kevin Hearn has sort of let it be known that he would be interested in the role of speaker as a compromise candidate. He is chairman of the Republican Study Committee that committee actually is a wide, politically wide spectrum of, of folks. So maybe he would have enough votes. And as you know, Mr. McHenry from North Carolina is the temporary speaker at the moment whose powers are so limited as Dan aptly pointed out. And I think that the whole situation in the Middle East has really raised the sense of urgency to do something. So. Am I surprised that we don't have a speaker today? No. Do I think it will last, a, you know, as long as the last one did? Probably not. Uh, but it is going to spill into next week. Um, but I think that people have an internal clock of how long they think is tolerable to allow this condition 
to continue, not to mention that there is a, the impending uh, deadline based on the last uh, CR that they did that only kicked the can down to around November 17th. And as you know, there's a lot of prep that has to be done uh, to pass uh, legislation to fund the government. Uh, you have to provide a certain number of days notice and people need time. And, you know, there's all these rules on both the Senate and the, the House to do this. So the clock is ticking and I think it will be resolved, but not in the immediate future, not this week. I think by midweek next week, uh, they ought to have resolved their differences. And so you talk about these different things that are happening between the Middle East and the, the budget problems. We've talked about some House packages that we've actually quite liked that have been introduced recently, such as the Patient Act, uh, Lower Cost, More Transparency Act, and an HSA innovation package. So how does this whole ordeal impact our priorities? Well, if the House can't legislate under the rules with a temporary speaker, then that just slows everything down. And a lot of members I talk to want to see some healthcare legislation move forward. There's a bill queued up that's going to be focused on HSAs, for example, whenever this gets through. So I think it's important to keep working with our allies, keeping a spotlight on the issues that we care about. Because if we go down to the last minute, end of the year, they're going to look for things that have support and then maintain support to bring them up. So I think there's a good opportunity. A lot of the things that we support have been bipartisan. They make sense. They're common sense. They're pro-consumer. And we just need to stay on top of it. You can't assume that it's going to make, make it over the edge. Ironically, a lot of members who are, are in this brouhaha over the speaker don't want an omnibus bill at the end of the year. They don't like end-of-year packages that are so large. They feel like bills should go in smaller chunks. Well, if they run out of floor time, I don't know how things pass. So how they square that remains to be seen. I agree with Michael. I think they're eating up a lot of valuable floor time trying to sort out how they're going to you know, run the House of Representatives. And meanwhile, they still have to pass a budget by November 17th. And there are other things that are non-healthcare related that have time clocks on them that are expiring provisions and so forth. So I think that what I'm hearing from a lot of committee people uh, is that a lot of our agenda is going to be pushed to the end of the year in that um, omnibus that they don't like, but that's just going to be the reality. And it also slows the Senate down just by nature of the Senate has no idea where the House is going on anything, but we are going to spend more leg time, I think, on the Senate side in the coming weeks because they are able to function right now. And we do want to talk to them about some House priorities that we like, that we would like to see them endorse. And I haven't necessarily seen those issues arise uh, in the right committees in the Senate. So I think we need to increase our presence over there to try to uh, get this all done. Now, I know we've talked about the employer reporting bill. Uh, just a brief update on that is that 
they are ready to drop that bill, but they're trying to align it with two other bills. They are working on press release issues and making sure that they're all ready to go at the same time. In exchange for our patience here on that uh, bill, uh, actually, Mr. Thune, who's been running the floor in McConnell's absence and doing a lot of the legwork for that office, is helping us as well with something they call hotline. And basically what it does is it, it creates a, a pathway to get it to the floor in an expedited manner. And if we can do that for this bill, uh, we can avoid the pile up at the end of the year with all the other priorities. And that would be really good for us. So we're going to work with those offices to make sure that uh, the path is clear and that we can actually attempt the hotline. So before we conclude today's episode, I wanted to acknowledge that the AEP for Medicare, Medicare Advantage, and Part D coverage begins this Sunday, October 15th. So if our Medicare members listening are still concerned or confused about marketing requirements ahead of the AEP, what can they do? Well, you're in luck because we have a very robust Medicare portal and it has all the resources that you could possibly need to answer any questions that might arise relative to disclosure requirements and recording requirements and all the other things that you have to do this selling season. We, in fact, just had a webinar last month and all of those are available on our website. And of course, you can contact us directly if you have a specific question that you think is not addressed on the website. I can direct you there and uh, get you the answers that you need to have a successful AEP. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So who are we toasting to this week? This week, we're going to toast our agents and brokers who specialize in the Medicare space. They've got a lot of work right in front of them for the next several weeks, and we appreciate them for all that they do. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.